1: Nutrient's 2020 Third Quarter Earnings Call. At this time, all participants are in the listen-only mode. A question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. I would now like to turn the conference over to Richard Downey, VP of Investor Relations. Please go ahead.
2: Thank you, Operator. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Nutrient's conference call to discuss our Third Quarter 2020 Results and Outlook. On the phone with us today is Mr. Chuck Megro, President and CEO of Nutrien, Mr. Pedro Ferrar, our CFO, and the heads of our three business units. As we conduct this conference call, various statements that we make about future expectations, plans, and prospects contain forward-looking information. Certain material assumptions were applied in making these conclusions and forecasts. Therefore, actual results could differ materially from those contained in our forward-looking information. Additional information about these factors and assumptions are contained in our current quarterly report to our shareholders, as well as our most recent annual report, MD&A, an annual information form filed with Canadian and U.S. Security Commissions to which we direct you. I will now turn the call over to Mr. Chuck Negro.
3: Thanks, Richard, and good morning, everyone. First off, I hope you, you and your families are all safe and healthy. While most companies and industries have seen an impact to their business due to the COVID-19 pandemic, agriculture has been more resilient than most and is now demonstrating real strength as we head into 2021. This underscores the consistent growth in global food demand, even through a global economic and health crisis. The fall application season is well underway across the U.S. as the harvest is ahead of normal. Crop prices have increased due to a combination of excellent global demand and lower than expected production, resulting in strong grower margins. Furthermore, fertilizer affordability is high, particularly for potash and nitrogen. As a result, we are optimistic the, of the fall uh, application season will be good, and we are also positive on the outlook for 2021. Before turning to the overview of our third quarter results in the outlook, I'd like to provide context on the non-cash impairment and tax benefit we recognize this quarter. The non-cash impairment was mostly associated with our phosphate facilities in White Springs and Aurora. This is based on our expectation for a challenging long-term price outlook for phosphate caused by structural oversupply from low-cost regions. Our tax rate was lower than usual this quarter due to a combination of US legislation changes, the tax benefit of recognizing non-cash impairments, and a shift in the mix of jurisdictional earnings. Now turning to our Q3 results, Retail Ag Solutions reported 13% higher EBITDA in the first nine months, which included double-digit growth in revenue and gross margin. We continue to deliver strong organic growth and realize the benefits from recent acquisitions. Our third quarter Retail Ag, Ag Solutions EBITDA was down $28 million over the last year, due primarily to the weather-related shift in earnings from Q2 into Q3 in 2019. The biggest variation was in crop protection and application services that were impacted by lower-than-expected U.S. acreage, relatively low discretionary crop protection product spend, and very low insect pressure due to dry conditions in the Corn Belt. These factors, combined with supplier bundling programs, created additional competitive pressure in the crop protection market this quarter. However, on a year-to-date basis, our U.S. crop protection gross margins and percentage margins are both higher this year. We also continue to report EBITDA of over $1 million per U.S. selling location and retail margins of nearly 10% and significantly lower working capital over the past 12 months. In fact, retail inventory alone was reduced by over $400 million during this quarter. Retail Ag Solutions in Australia and South America delivered additional $31 million in EBITDA in the third quarter over the same period last year. The integration of RUELCO continues to proceed ahead of plan, and we have now hit our original synergy target of $30 million, and we also expect to capture an additional $20 million in synergies by the end of 2021 from this strategic acquisition. Uptake of our digital platform continues to exceed our expectations, and we have now surpassed a $1 billion in online sales, nearly four times greater than the digital sales in all of 2019. New functionality such as our digital seed recommendation and crop planning tools are also being rolled out this year. We will provide a virtual demonstration of our digital platform leading up to our November 30th investor update and we'll introduce new metrics to help illustrate the benefits of our leading digital tool for both our customers and for our business. Moving to the Q3 results for our wholesale operations. Our potash operating results from a production, sales and cost perspective were impressive again. Potash demand was strong in the third quarter, both domestically and offshore. Campotex is fully committed into early 2021, and our domestic order book is nearly full for the balance of this year. Our cash cost of production was $9 per ton lower than 2019, partly due to production efficiency gains. We do have maintenance turnaround scheduled at three of our mines in the fourth quarter, which will increase per ton cost and limit sales availability. However, we still expect 2020 to be our best year from a cost perspective. For nitrogen this quarter, we reported excellent operating rates, lower cost, and higher ag-related sales volumes largely associated with our summer fill program. However, nitrogen-adjusted EBITDA was down 21% due to lower nitrogen prices and lower industrial and feed volumes Due to reduced global industrial demand largely associated with the impact of COVID-19. We made the difficult decision to indefinitely curtail production at our smallest ammonia plant in Trinidad because of uncompetitive gas costs and we are now operating the rest of the complex at full operating rates. With a U.S. harvest near complete and a clear line of sight on our potash and nitrogen businesses to the year end, Our guidance is intact and we have narrowed the annual adjusted earnings guidance to $1.60 to $1.85 per share and our adjusted EBITDA guidance to $3.5 to $3.7 billion. Now, shifting to our outlook for the global crop input sector. Overall, the fundamentals for our business have strengthened over the past quarter. As the grain and oilseed supply demand has tightened significantly, Corn and soybean prices have increased 25 to 30% over the past two months. U.S. grower margins for key crops are up close to 50% compared to the previous three-year average and are the strongest they have been in many years. This will create incentive to increase planting and crop input applications in the U.S. and other regions next year. Prices of most major crops in China have increased significantly as a result of tight domestic supply and demand fundamentals, particularly for feed grains, as the hog herd quickly recovers from African swine fever. We believe the increased demand for both Chinese feed and food is structural, and we expect elevated grains and oilseed imports into 2021 and beyond that. Record crop prices in Brazil are expected to boost summer soybean and safrinha corn planting by around 5%. While planting was delayed by dry weather, farmers have made significant progress in recent weeks. Grower sentiment is extremely strong and underscores why expanding our business in Brazil is strategically important. Harvest is in full swing in Australia and growers are working to get a bumper crop into the bins and crop prices remain strong. Following harvest, the weather outlook is for favorable rainfalls, which could set Australian farmers up for another successful season. Potash prices strengthen as global demand is strong and we maintain our 2020 global potash shipment forecast at 65 to 67 million tonnes. With increased consumption in all key regions, including China, the market conditions have tightened significantly and we are taking domestic orders at $30 per tonne above our summer fill program. Reports indicate that most of the major suppliers are sold out for the rest of 2020. Campitex will not place product into China warehouses after October 30th contract expires, and other key markets are on sales allocation. We believe that potash reached floor levels early in 2020. For nitrogen, we believe there was little growth in global demand this year due to the macroeconomic impacts of COVID-19. This significantly reduced industrial demand, which we expect has delayed the recovery in nitrogen by about a year. However, strong urea demand in India and Brazil, combined with lower supply from China, has provided the market with stability, and the recent increase in natural gas prices, especially in Europe, should help support global nitrogen pricing. Ammonia prices have also firmed over the past few months, and North America urea prices are likely to rise to close the gap against global benchmark pricing. While there is still some new nitrogen capacity coming online, the regions where most of this new capacity is located have encountered significant delays or have low historic operating rates with limited new supply after 2021 growing demand higher global energy prices and an expected recovery in the global economy we expect the nitrogen market to tighten over time nutrient expects to lead the next wave of innovation and sustainability in agriculture And In the first half of 2021, we will lay out our climate targets and commitments, which include tools that can fundamentally change sustainable agriculture. We will provide more details on this at our investor day on November 30th, and we encourage you to sign up for for this on our website. As we look to 2021, we believe the fundamentals for our business are strengthening. And while we execute on closing out a solid 2020, we see compelling drivers for improved results across our businesses in 2021. We would now open the call to your questions on the quarter and the outlook for our business.
1: As a reminder, to ask a question, you'll need to press star then 1 on your telephone. And to withdraw your question, press the pounder hash key. Please limit yourself to one initial question, and you may then rejoin the queue after. Our first question is from P.J. Jukabar, the Citigroup. Your line is open.
4: Yes. Hi. Good morning. So, a quick question on phosphates. You you took a write down in phosphates due to structural oversupply. You know, when you take a charge like that, do your auditors make you look at sort of the next five year outlook? And there was a CVD case filed by a competitor which led to higher U.S. prices. Did you take in, that into consideration? Can you just talk about the timing of this charge and, you know, how do you uh, – the, the outlook that led to it?
3: Yeah, good morning, PJ. So, uh, Pedro, our CFO, can can answer your questions. Go ahead, Pedro.
4: Thank you,
5: uh, Chuck, and thank you. Uh, so, uh, of course, our auditors uh, look into that. Um, we do – Uh, very frequent reviews of all of our assets there was a certain schedule for this Um, I think the impairment was triggered by a review with the board of our long-term outlook uh, for FOSS prices Uh, and that was corroborated uh, with a number of different uh, outside sources as well so it was not only a, a inside uh, forecasts, but also corroborated by, by outside sources. So uh, w- we could see that the values we are carrying now, books, were no longer supported by those prices and margins into the
4: future. Thank you. And just quickly, um, I know you're going to talk about your climate goals in next uh, at your at your analyst day, but we're just wondering, you know, some of your competitors have taken steps with blue and green ammonia and was wondering if you have any initial thoughts on that thank you
3: yes we, we do of course so so look our, our ultimate goal is to be a leader in ESG globally um, and for that we, we have some very big plans that we will start to introduce to the marketplace at our investor day but but here's just a quick preview so we, we've been working of course on, on a lot of our, our digital tools and we think we now have an excellent toolkit, probably the best in the industry, to really change the way agriculture is fundamentally conducted on the farm. Now, the starting point for that will be, of course, our, our own footprint. So just to your specific question on nitrogen, yes, we are looking at our nitrogen footprint and our product slate. And what I'd say is even if you look at our product slate today, a third of our ammonia sales today would be from low carbon. So if you use the phrase blue ammonia, uh, about a third of our sales would already come from that. So we're already a leader today in low carbon ammonia production. We are looking at green ammonia, uh, like like every major player in the industry, and we're working through the technology and the economic issues. and.
1: Next question is from John Roberts with UBS. Your line is open.
6: Thank you. Can you hear me? It sounded like things dropped off there.
5: Yeah, Chuck, I think it, I could not hear part of it.
6: Are we both open, PJ? Operator, I think we may have lost nutrient.
1: Okay, let's have everyone stand by while we reconnect the audio. Sorry for the delay there. can you still
5: hear me, Pedro Farra?
1: I'm able to hear everyone else. It sounds like we have just lost the one speaker line.
6: And operator, is my line open as well as PJ's?
1: Uh, no, nope, it's just your line, sir. That's open at the moment.
6: It's funny because I can hear PJ.
1: Okay, so we'll just have everyone stand by. Looks like we're just having a little audio difficulty. We're just going to put the conference on music hold, and we'll resume in just a moment. Again, my apologies.
2: Hi, uh, everyone. I hope you can hear me now. I'm not sure what happened. We got dropped there. So I'm going to ask Chuck. He had a great answer on ESG, so I'm going to ask him to repeat it. Uh, PJ, um,
3: uh, so go ahead, Chuck. Yeah, sorry about that, PJ. We had a bit of a technical issue and the call was dropped. So hopefully everybody can hear me now. Uh, and I'm not sure how much you actually caught, but but look, uh, obviously we have uh, big plans to be leaders in, in ESG and specifically around the whole na- nature of climate change and sustainable agriculture. And, and for us you know from a nitrogen perspective, we are looking at our footprint and our product slate. And if you look at our existing product slate today, about a third of our ammonia sales would be considered to be lo- low carbon production. So you can use the phrase blue ammonia if, if that's what you're comfortable with. Uh, and today we would be a leader in, in blue ammonia production. We are looking at green uh, ammonia options, so, you know, we're working through the technology and the economic issues and at the right time, we'll have more to say about that. But that really, from, a, from a, an overall climate change impact perspective, that's just table stakes. If you look at how nutrient is structured, probably, you know, different than other, uh, our other peers, is we're very uniquely positioned to really change what happens on the farm because of our integrated business model. And that's really our objective, is we want to, and we have been investing significantly in building tools and technology to help farmers really sequester carbon and to monetize that. So we think we've built just a phenomenal product slate right now, and and we'll be talking more about that, of course, soon. Um, And our overall goal is just to help farmers sequester carbon and to monetize that, because that's really how agriculture needs to evolve over time to help with climate change. So that's a bit of a preview of what we plan to roll out uh, on November 30th at our Investor Day and I'd encourage you all to participate.
1: The next question is from John Roberts with UBS, your line is open.
6: Um, Thank you. Last quarter Mosaic was talking about the potash market entering a new up, up phase here. Um, while Nutrient's comments last quarter, I think, were much more restrained. Does another quarter of sequential improvement make you more optimistic than you were last call? It sounds like you're pretty optimistic about 2021 overall.
3: Yeah, hi, John. So, look, we're certainly more optimistic overall uh, at the end of the third quarter than we were at the end of the first and second quarter. And it's for the reasons we outlined in the prepared remarks. You know, we've seen crop prices rally. Um, you know, six months ago we were talking about sub $3 corn, now we're talking about $4 corn. Inventories have tightened and demand around the world for crops uh, is, is uh, increasing substantially, including in China. So, we are feeling better uh, and certainly uh, more confident as we, en- as we enter 2021. Now, specific to potash, yes, I, I would say, look, if you look at overall the potash fundamentals, they've improved throughout this year. Certainly when we think about demand, demand is up about 2 million tons. That would be our guess today. Um, so that, that has really been a, a nice uh, event in the, in the industry. And we think 2021 demand will continue to grow. We also think that globally inventories are, are, are where they should be at this time of year. And, and so what we think will happen is that you're going to see the potash market continue to grow there, there is a little bit of more new supply that needs to come to the market, but the growth should easily absorb that. And if you look at Nutrient's position, you know we said very clearly on the prepared remarks that uh, Capotex is not shipping product into China now, that the contract has expired. We do believe that inland inventories are low in China and that they need the product. And potash domestic pricing in China is quite a bit higher than the contract pricing. So all this bodes well, I think, for a good contract negotiation as we enter 2021. And overall, I think we're seeing demand not only in China, but in all the core markets for potash. So yeah, we're, we're feeling a little bit better about the potash market. And for us, we're also focused on our costs. So another quarter of 52 $53 cash cost. It shows the integration that we've done since the merger and the investments that we've put into the potash business. And I think we're well prepared to... Continue to focus on low cost, and as the market grows, we'll be able to put more tons into the market at lower cost. So, we, we like that uh, position as we head into 2021.
1: The next question is from Jeff Zakowskis with JP Morgan. The line is open.
7: Uh, thanks very much. Um, can, can you let us know what the capital expenditures are for the retail business and whether they change very much over time? And secondly, um, you're differentiating retail more and more. It's, it's now 70% of the revenues of the company. Do, do you ever revisit the, the question of whether retail should be separated to increase shareholder value? Uh,
3: good morning, Jeff. So I'll have Pedro talk a little bit about CapEx and then I'll come back and answer your, your second question. Sure. Thank you. Go, go ahead, Pedro.
5: Yeah, so in, in relation to compacts, uh we, of course, guided uh, between 1 and 1.1 1. 1 for sustaining capital. Um, a, a good portion of that is, is actually NPK. Uh, retail is a bit less. Uh, and this year has been coming a little bit lower uh, than normal uh, due to COVID restrictions where we couldn't uh, do some of the turnarounds and uh, because we couldn't, uh, crowd some of the spaces that we uh, we had for for that. So we are trying to recover some of that next year. We're going to be approximately $1.2 billion. In terms of investment capital, uh, we are still leaning towards more retail, uh, more digital, and looking more at Brazil. Uh, so that that's continues to be uh, the preference in terms of capital allocation for our investment capital.
3: And then just on your question on on whether it's a revisit or or a look at how the company is structured. So what what I would say there is we we do look at um, all of our businesses. We look at the portfolio. We're constantly optimizing uh, our our overall portfolio. And and when it comes to the specifics around uh, the the integrated model, we actually look at that with some frequency. And we monitor the, the, the sum of the parts, of course. As well as other valuation uh, metrics that we have. And and, and it's not only uh, the management team that does this, we we put this in front of the board with some frequency just to ensure that we've got the the right strategy with the right structure to drive long-term shareholder value. What I tell you right now though is that when we look at the, the market conditions, the volatility, and how our company has performed relative to other players in the crop input space, we would say that the integrated model has has shone through and that if you look at our free cash flow and our earnings, we've been a much more stable investment uh, than many of our peers because of the way the company is structured. And then if you look at how we've allocated capital, the the reason we have the dividend policy that we have as Nutrium is because of the integrated model. And, And at this point in in the, in the market, whether it's the economic market or the, the industry that we are, we're operating in, in terms of crop inputs, we have a really attractive dividend policy. Um, it's very stable, it's growing, um, and with interest rates the way they are today, it's a very attractive investment for shareholders. And many of the shareholders that I talk to love this model where at the bottom of, of our cycle, which is where we think we are today, shareholders are getting paid a very healthy dividend to, to wait Uh, for the market to recover, which we hope now is on our doorsteps. And then as the market does recover, we still have significant leverage to the upside. So the integrated model, I think, has been proven to show that we have uh, less downside risk and still significant leverage to the upside. And and I think most shareholders would agree that 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 is a unique combination uh, for companies in the material and, and industrial space.
1: The next question is from Chris Parkinson with Credit Suisse. Your line is open.
8: Great, thank you. I just want to drill down a little bit more on the uh, the potash front. Um, you know, it does appear that certain markets are actually really beginning to turn uh, throughout Asia. Um, you know, and it appears that you're confident in a rebound in China. So, just in your overall analysis of the complete region, heading into 21 and 22, you know, coarse grains, oil seeds. And even on a forward-looking perspective, F and V, you know, how should we be thinking about the regional demand dynamics, um, and how does that filter into your general views, which you're articulating going forward? Do you think there's upside your estimates? Thank you.
3: Good morning, Chris. So maybe I'll have uh, Ken Seitz, our our leader of uh, our potash business, just
8: quickly
9: go around the world for you and give his perspective. (laughs) Go ahead, Ken. Thank you. Good, thanks. Great, thanks, Chris, and thanks, Chuck. Yeah, so. Chuck talked about China and why we're confident there, and that's owing to, yeah, some inventories that are a bit above 3 million tons at the moment, but we're seeing strong demand there into the fall. And uh, it's reflected in the domestic price, Um, low inland inventories as well. So as the lowest uh, potash price market in the world, we're confident about um, a good contract negotiation in 2021, and we expect demand, as usual, to be robust in China. India, we're going to end the year with lower inventories uh, year over year than we've seen, lower than historic averages. Uh, India's been a great year. Um, And into the fall season with their Karif Karif crop, we expect that Indian farmer economics will continue to be very good. And so we expect strong demand in India in 2021 as well. Indonesia and, and Malaysia, you can see that the palm oil price is now north of 3,200 ringgit per tonne, and that bodes very well for the plantation owners in terms of uh, potash affordability. So we're expecting growth in Southeast Asia into 2021. Um, The Brazilian market continues to be very strong as well. Um, And again, in 2021, we expect some growth there, but the the, uh, farmer economics and farmer affordability for potash are just excellent in Brazil. And then finally, In the US, we're having a very strong fall into the US. We have great weather, great farmer affordability, and we're seeing strong um, uh, potash application into the fall. And so that uh, tees us up well for lower inventories across the board and then into 2021 um, expecting yeah, demand growth, as Chuck said, and and, uh, favorable pricing as well.
1: The next question is from Jacob Bell, the CIBC. The line is open. Uh, good morning.
5: So you uh, trimmed uh, retail EBITDA guidance for the year. Um, can you talk a little bit about what's driving this? Um, is this just margin pressure? I know you talked about competitive pressure and crop protection. And then if that's the case, you know, is this the new normal?
3: Yeah, so Jacob, I'll, I'll talk about guidance and then Mike can give you. Uh, Mike Frank can give you his perspective on uh, what he sees going forward towards the end of the year and then into 2021. So, look, o- overall, what we did with guidance is we just took the top end of the EBITDA guidance range down. Um, there were some minor tweaks in potash and nitrogen. Potash was raised modestly because of higher volumes uh, and, and prices, as the last question was addressing, and nitrogen was lower just modestly because of pricing and then slightly higher gas costs. Our, our biggest change in our, in our guidance overall was to retail. Um, and, and that is a bit unusual for a Q3 in, in retail, but I think that this year what we've, what we've seen is if you look at why we, we lowered the guidance in retail, there, there are three drivers to that. The first is, is just the lower planted acreage. So, uh, you know, the USDA was still tweaking their numbers as of late as of o- October. Um, so, you know, we, we were expecting, and I think many others would, would be expecting, a higher planted a- a- acreage in, in throughout the year, and, and we... Now we know that uh, we had a softer uh, Q3 because of that. But also uh, crop protection application in, in the, the third quarter was lower. We had drier weather in the Corn Belt and, and not a lot of pest pressure. So, so that was another driver. And then the, the last topic, which, which I did introduce in my prepared remarks, which is, we have seen uh, some deflationary pricing in the crop protection market because of some competitive pressure in the upstream uh, competitors. Um, And and that, when we combine all that, what I I would say to you is that we we certainly think that most of this is just Q3 specific, Um, but I'll have Mike give uh, his view on crop protection as we get through uh, the rest of this year and in the 2021. So go ahead, Mike.
7: Yeah, thanks, Chuck, and thanks, Jacob. Yeah, so look, if if you look at our 2020 uh, crop protection margins, obviously they were strong through the first half and deteriorated in Q3. Um, And as Chuck just mentioned I mean a big part of the Q3 impact was the fact that there was lower especially in the Corn Belt insect uh, and disease acres for us to treat you know the channel uh, ourselves included were loaded up with inventory Um, and so it ended up being a hyper competitive market and uh, we saw the 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 margins deteriorate because of that you know I think that that's a that's a unique uh, event Uh, this year we haven't seen that in the past and so I you know I wouldn't expect that to repeat. You know, the other impact that we're going to see through the whole year is just the impact of RuralCo co on our crop protection margins. Like if we look at the year-to-date RuralCo uh, rural co crop protection margins, they're about 13%. Um, you know, and, and typically our, our Australia margins are, are close to where we have globally. They're in the twenty to twenty-two percent range. Um, so with RuralCo, co you know we have to sell off the existing inventory. And uh, the purchase commitments that they made for the 2020 season uh, were pretty much through all of that inventory. And so as we look towards 2021, um, we'll also have you know, nutrient ag solutions uh, costing across our whole Australia portfolio. And so that's also going to be constructive to margins as we look forward into 2021.
1: Our next question is from Steve Byrne, with Bank of America, your line is open.
6: Yes, I was curious as, about whether there's anything structural uh, about your phosphate assets uh, that led to the, the write down. Is there just potentially, you know, subscale at, at Aurora and White, White Springs that, or, or any technical issues there, or, or do you just See the the recent run in global prices is unsus, unsustainable.
4: Sorry,
3: sorry.
6: Operator, it seems that we're having technical issues again. Could you put the call on hold?
3: We're we're back in. We're back in. If you can just repeat the question for us.
6: Sure. The the, the question was about your phosphate assets and whether there's anything structural or technical or scale related at White Springs and Aurora that contributed to the decision uh, to to write down the the assets, or or is it it solely a a longer-term outlook on phosphate uh, supply and demand that might suggest the recent run in prices is unsustainable?
3: Well, well, look, if you, if you think about what we've done since the merger uh, in our phosphate business, you know part of the synergies that we delivered through the MOE uh, was related to optimizing the phosphate businesses that the two prior companies had. And so we moved from uh, three facilities to two. We increased operating rates, lowered our costs substantially, and all of that helped. and and thank goodness that that we did that. Uh, what we what the, the reason for the impairment to be very candid though is that we, we have a view that That uh, the market is, has a lot of fundamental oversupply in low-cost jurisdictions around the world and that supply will continue to increase and so when you look at our, our Footprint in in the United States these, these assets are strong regional players, but they're not world-scale um, and so when you put all of that together um, you know, the way the process is conducted by, by our finance organization with our outside auditors, that's what triggered the impairment. Um, you know, when we look at this uh, from our, our, our focus now for our phosphate business is really we're going to continue to drive our costs down and diversify the products, which we've, we've done over the last three years and we'll continue to look for opportunities. But this business now, you know I think when we when we look at it, we we just fundamentally believe that the the long-term outlook for the phosphate business is very different than say the potash or the nitrogen business and, and that's taking all of this into consideration is where we landed. Next question operator? operator
1: my apologies our next question is from joel jackson with female capital markets your line is open hi chuck good morning um you're talking about
7: palm oil so you know if if some of the renewable diesel um forecasts bullish forecasts are correct in the next year or two you would think that that would lead to a lot higher palm oil prices and you know that should lead to a lot of potash demand in Indonesia, Malaysia, Southeast Asia. Uh, you spoke how things are improving upon all sides, but I think it's been surprising that potash prices really haven't risen in Southeast Asia. So can you speak about some of that long-term bullishness? Does that play out in potash? When does it happen? Anything you can have would be helpful, thanks.
3: Yeah, good morning, Joel. So what I'll do is I'll have Jason Newton, our chief economist, just address the palm oil dynamic and then I'll give you a couple comments on the broader uh, potash industry. So go ahead, Jason.
8: Morning, Joel. Um, Yeah, we've seen a combination of supply and demand factors um, really help out the palm oil market uh, since bottoming in May. So we're up up around 50% since that time. Um, Part of it is supply and that migrant labor hasn't been able to move into Malaysia, which has had some negative impact on, um, on production and available from there. Uh, it's also demand-driven. So we've seen um, strong demand in, in China, as mentioned. Um, India's demand has been strong as well. Um, and then we also have the biofuel dynamics, which I think is supportive as we look uh, longer term. I think if you look at, at how the prices have performed uh, in that market, it always lags. Uh, what's happening in, in uh, other spot markets, especially the, the granular spot markets in Brazil and the U.S., um, and so we never saw prices go as low in uh, Indonesia, Malaysia as they did in Brazil, uh, and they haven't haven't increased um, by the same amount. Um, but if you look at the uh, relationship where they are today versus um, the prices in Brazil, it's, it's more along the lines of where it has been historically. And I think, given the fundamentals in that market, as we look toward late. Uh, 2020 and into 2021 there's certainly a lot of fundamental support uh, for prices in that region
3: yeah Joel so then I, I've covered the potash uh, our view of potash I think pretty well globally from a fundamental perspective The the nuance then if you go back to China you know what, what we're seeing in China though I, I think in its early days but we, we think there's some really interesting structural changes happening there. there there's good demand for grains and oil seeds. you can see corn and soybean imports well above the historical levels um, and China inventories have been depleted Uh, so when when we look at this and we see China pricing for for potash but also for for food it's much higher than the global benchmark prices so we what's happening is if you look at African swine fever which was a major headwind uh, for the industry last year now that's becoming what we think a structural tailwind because as the Chinese rebuild the uh, their their hog herd they're doing it with uh, what I would call professionalism and commercial aspects around the world. And so they're bringing in professional uh, commercial feedlots, which are going to use a lot more uh, crops. Um, and, and I think that's a safer way to, to grow the, these animals. But it's also, I think, going to drive, I think, a change in demand for crops around the world. Um, and so all of this is positive, I think, for, for, for crop fundamentals, but also for NPK um and and so that's why you know you've noticed maybe a slight change in our in our views now is that we've been watching this for the last i'd say uh, six to nine months and and there's still some more to kind of understand as this unfolds but we are more optimistic today than we have been in, in the last two
6: two or three quarters
1: the next question is from andrew Wong with rbc capital markets your line is open
7: hey good morning um so, just wanted to ask a question on nitrogen. I don't think we've covered much of that on the call. Um, regarding the nitrogen cost curve, it looks like there's a lot of moving parts here with the energy prices. Oil's weak, um, nat gas prices are rising globally, coal prices look like they're going up in China. You know, just what's your outlook for the cost curve over the next six or 12 months? And then, more specific to um, nutrient, obviously, ACO gas has gone up, um, but you, know, you still get a pretty good margin. There. could you just maybe give us a little bit of a, a preview into 2021 a bit on how
0: that segment might play out thank you
3: sure good, good morning Andrew so look I'll, I'll stay at the high level and then certainly we can unpack this uh, if you'd like or we can take it offline but what, what, what we've seen in the nitrogen um, fundamentals is, is sort of um, that the recovery has probably been pushed out by about a year or so that we had originally thought and if there's one part of our business, but also the ag industry that has been impacted by COVID, it is the nitrogen industry. The rest of our businesses have not been really overly impacted. There's been puts and takes around uh, you know, crop mix and, and, and things like that. But the nitrogen industry, because part of it is industrial and it goes into the general economy, what, what we've seen is that global demand overall for nitrogen is going to be up modestly, I'll call it flat good demand growth in ag but but uh, uh, of course declines around the world for industrial nitrogen A- and then some of the new uh, production that was intended to come online late last year and then er- earlier this year that also has been pushed out so as we look at 2021 you know our, our view would be that we're going to see growth in nitrogen next year in ag but also in the industrial complex as the broader economy recovers the new supply will come online, and, and what we would say is that 2021 from a nitrogen perspective is probably more balanced uh, for, for 2021 than we had originally thought. Uh, as compared to potash, where we see very good demand growth in, in, in potash, there is a, a more, some supply coming on in potash, but we think that the supply demand in potash will tighten next year, and we think that nitrogen it will be more, more balanced within good growth in 2022 and 2023 and beyond that.
1: The next question is from Duffy Fisher with Barclays. Your line is open.
6: Yeah, good morning, guys. Um, Question just around
1: China in particular. You had mentioned that potash prices internal are higher than global prices. I think you can see the same thing for corn. Um, And it's been a while since you've seen that kind of delta where there's more value in ag inside of China. So maybe if you would take a first cut across N, P, and K, whether they're a net importer or a net exporter, how you think that net import-export number changes next year relative to this year for China?
3: Okay, good morning, Duffy. I'm going to have Jason Newton just go through that for you.
8: Uh, Good morning, Duffy. Yeah, it's a a good question. Um, And I I think if you look at the uh, ag uh, outlook in China, it's definitely uh, a lot stronger um, than it has been in some time. Um, And we think that supports, uh, fertilizer consumption within within China and I think if you look at the numbers for this year uh, we've seen that across all three NP and K. Um, so looking at the export balances uh, we expect Chinese urea exports this year will be in the 5 million uh, ton range so roughly in line with where it was a year ago and as we look toward next year uh, the combination of uh, increased um, demand domestically and and some continued uh, supply uh, reductions in the domestic market, we'd expect that uh, domestic the exports will decline, and so probably in the range of a million ton decline in Chinese exports uh, of urea in uh, 2021. Uh, phosphate, we've, we've already seen uh, lower exports uh, this year, and we'd expect to continue that same trend of, of increased consumption domestically in 2021, which should uh, reduce the export surplus there. And then on the potash, um, side. Uh, we have seen increased domestic consumption in uh, in 2020. Uh, shipments are down. As we look toward uh, 2021, we expect modest increase in, in shipments, uh, depending on what what happens with imports as we get into late um, this year, but, but strong domestic consumption growth again in 2021 um, in China.
1: The next question is from Vincent Andrews with Morgan Stanley. Your line is open.
3: Uh, Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, I just want to drill down a little bit more into the natural gas equation on the the ACO-Henry Hub piece. You know, just looking at at slide 21, um, you know, we've always talked about the ACO advantage and that chart generally shows it, but more recently, you know, since maybe the end of last year, uh, that advantage is narrowed and um, just curious, you know, what you think is causing that. And then, you know, if we do see a further spike in Henry Hub, uh, you know, whether you'd anticipate ACO following it or not.
5: Thank you. Okay, Vincent.
3: Good morning. Uh Rafe Sully, our head of nitrogen and phosphate,
8: can
0: can take that question. Go ahead, Rafe. Thanks, Chuck. So <clears throat> just to reiterate uh some things Chuck mentioned, you know, globally we're seeing prices uh increase, we're seeing LNG come up. Uh that's pushing European gas prices up to a more natural position, which is pushing them to the right of the curve. Um ACO and Henry Harbor up. Um We still think that we'll see an advantage of ACO through uh, next year. (coughs) There's a lot of production available there um, at the current prices that you see. So uh, (coughs) we think uh, it will still be advantaged to Henry Hub. Likewise, I think there's some uncertainty around Henry Hub at the moment just because of the election. Um, But (coughs) despite that, there is a lot of capacity available um, in that 275 to 325 range. So, again... Uh, Henry Hub and AK may come up a little, um, but the, the amount they come up is capped compared to LNG prices and prices in the rest of the world. And so we think our footprint will have a pretty advantaged position uh, to some of our competitors that have enjoyed low gas prices recently.
1: The next question is from Ben Isaacson Scotia Scotiabank. The line is open.
7: Thank you very much and good morning. Um, you guys have given a very clear outlook on your views um, with respect to nitrogen over the midterm, at least from a non-controllable point of view. When it comes to controllables, what is your strategy for nitrogen? You've talked in the past about debottlenecking. What about product mix shifts or lowering costs or potentially offshore investments, consolidation, et cetera? Thank
0: you.
3: Yep. Good morning, Ben. Uh, Rafe, Rafe, do you want to take those questions, please?
0: Yeah, no problem, Jack. <clears throat> so, Ben, look, uh, on the controllables, there's a number of things that we're focused on here the first is starting with reliability of the equipment we've had a big push in the last three years to improve the reliability of the equipment by making sure that our sustaining capital is focused on things that matter Um, you've seen that come up now Um, we're on track this year to have a uh, to reach a high watermark around that uh, 93 94 uh, percent capacity utilization we we're going to try and push uh, on beyond that, in the next few years, um, we also have invested about $300 million in increased capacity that has allowed us more flexibility um, with downstream products. So that's allowed us to move the ammonia molecule into urea and UAN, which is served as well, um, and also ammonium sulfate. Um, we have identified additional uh, what I call brownfield expansions. These are a very low cost compared to greenfield expansions and these brownfield expansions are focused on again product mix flexibility um, on a regional basis so um, looking at uh, the individual regions we're at and where we need that extra flexibility they're also focused on energy efficiency Um, so again uh, and reliability and so you should see us continue to be able to improve the reliability of the equipment we have and also get a little more flexible um, I mean our product mix that will allow us to handle some of the uh, variability we see uh, in the application windows.
1: The next question is from Adam Samuelson with Goldman Sachs. your line is open
8: uh, yes, thank you. Good morning everyone um so So the question is is on retail and really
7: as we think out of twenty twenty one the the crop price environment and the farm income environment is considerably more favorable maybe a little more skewed to, to soy than corn planting at, at current prices. But just try to think about the the nutrient operating leverage to that in retail next year. Um, do we see a slowdown in OPEX growth as we kind of lap Um or is there an initial step-ups in investments in, in digital in Brazil that, that mean that we could still see OPEX grow as fast or faster than gross profit next year? Thank you.
3: Good morning, Adam. Uh, Mike, do you want to take that question?
7: Sure, you bet, Chuck. Uh, good morning, Adam. So for let me talk about Opex. Uh, firstly, this year, uh, the vast majority over 90% of the Opex increase this year is coming from acquisitions, you know, in particular Rural Code, but we also had a couple of, you know, medium-sized acquisitions in Brazil. And so that's where we're seeing Opex growth this year, you know, right now going into 20 uh 21. You know, we don't have those big acquisitions at at this time that are going to have that same kind of impact into our 2021 year. And so I I would expect a a more stable OPEX uh, growth going into next year, probably less than inflation. Um, Look, in terms of grower sentiment, you you know, you're right. Whether it's the U.S., um, obviously it was an early harvest, good yield, strong prices right now, and good government support programs. You know, and we're seeing that play out. Our, Our seed bookings are up. Uh, we had a, we've had we had a record October uh, from a ton standpoint in terms of getting applications uh, fertilizer on the ground, um, and we've also seen a, a record number of soil samples come into our waypoint analytical uh, lab network, and so we are seeing growers really starting to think about how do they make investments into the 21 crop uh, that are going to really be focused on maximizing yields. Of course, it's the same in Brazil. Grower margins are extremely strong, and in Australia, they're just... About to harvest what looks to be, you know, a, a really good crop, and uh, and moisture conditions are once again looking positive going into the 21 season. So across the board, I would say, you know, all those things are setting up right now, you know, for really strong grower fundamentals. Um, and when that's the case, you know, there is a positive uh, impact, of course, on our retail business, you know, from uh, product sales uh, margins. Um, And, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot to play out in terms of planted acres for 21 between corn and soy. But, you know, as Chuck mentioned in the prepared remarks, you know, there was about 8 million acres that didn't get planted this year uh, because of prevent plant. And so, again, I think as we're looking at the 21 season, you know, we're expecting a lot of those acres to come back into uh,
1: play in the U.S. as well. The next question is from Jonas Oxgard with Bernstein. Your line is open.
6: Hi, good morning. Um, We've we talked a lot about China and the, uh, the outlook for for pretty uh, strong potash applications.
7: But are you are you thinking about China differently in a strategic sense this upcoming year? I mean, it, it feels like we're repeating the same story every year of um, sending too much volume to China and then negotiating from a position of weakness.
3: Yeah, so good morning. Um, look, I, I think uh, the way we think about this coming contract with China is fundamentally different than what, what happened over the last couple of years. So uh, we, we, if you recall, we signed, and we being Capitec signed a contract only till October. So it wasn't even 12 months last time. I think we made it very clear that we we fundamentally believe that uh, the contract price was not sustainable at that level. And Capitex is now not shipping any volume after the contract in October. So, you know, I I think that that is a very important differentiation and distinction. Um, And then if you look at how we're forecasting our volumes into 2021, and we'll talk more about that um, as we enter the, the new year, is. We don't. We're not relying on China for a lot of volume early in, in 2021. And then, you know, the, the comment that we've already made a couple of times today, the China domestic potash price is much higher than that contract price. So, in my in my eyes, I think we're, we have set up a different dynamic. Now, this is always going to be a tough contract negotiation. People are constantly referring to what they can see at the port inventories, and that's the most visible and transparent number, so the Chinese understand that. Um, But from my perspective, what I would say is that I believe that there's only one way potash prices are going to go in in China. The question is just by how much.
1: The next question is from Michael Tuckholm with TV Securities. Your line is open.
2: Uh, Thanks. Good morning. Um, I know you feel very uh, strongly about the robustness of your digital platform. I'm just wondering if you can talk about the the strength you've seen uh, in that platform. You've um, you've well exceeded the targets you put out. And I'm just wondering if you can talk about what what you think it is that's allowed you to do that and and how you think about that
3: going forward. Sure thing. Uh, Mike Frank, will you take that question, please?
7: You bet, Chuck. Yeah. So, Michael, obviously, you know the uh, the platform has exceeded our expectations this year in in terms of revenue that's that's come in on the digital portal. Obviously, that was aided by COVID. You know, where we got into the March busy season. Um, you know, and we wanted to make sure that both our employees and our customers stayed safe and healthy. And so, you know, we really turned to the digital tools to and leveraged them. You know, in that window. But the the good thing is we've we've seen that continue. Uh, through the third quarter and and, and even in the early start of the fourth quarter. So look, I think the benefits, there's really two big categories of benefits that we're seeing. You know, firstly, it's around efficiency. So, you know, our best uh, sales agronomists that are at capacity, you know, doing it the old way uh, with these digital tools, they're able to increase the number of acres that they can serve by probably 25 to 40% uh, just because of these tools allow them to reach their growers and and, and help the growers make decisions in a, in a more convenient way. Um, and we're also seeing uh, a less duplication of kind of back office work. And so there's also a, a leaning down of the administration that we're seeing. And, and we can anticipate as we do more and more uh, transactions on the digital portal and get more payments through, through the portal that it's, it's leaning down our administration. The the other big uh, area of benefit is really, I would say, both grower convenience as well as our sales agronomist convenience. Um, You know, and we're seeing, for example, growers that are engaging online uh, are churning less. uh, They're more likely to buy multiple shelves from us. And so we do see this as an avenue. I think it's early days, but it's an avenue for us to drive organic
1: growth as well.
2: Operating, we have time for just one more question.
1: Thank you. Our final question is from Michael Picken with Cleveland Research. Your line is open.
6: Thank you for taking the question. Um, just wanted to go briefly through the uh, seed and crop protection market. You mentioned that that's causing some uh, pressure in terms of your retail margins. How do you see that evolving into, you know, 2021? And maybe you could
3: talk about kind of
6: the competitive dynamics of seed a little bit right now with the price cards
7: now out. Thanks.
3: Good morning, Michael. Uh, Mike Frank?
7: Yeah, Michael, so look, I think we already talked about the the crop protection uh, market and the impact this year, in particular, the impact of of RuralCo and and the mix effect that RuralCo had on our overall margins, as well as just their very competitive Q3 that, you know, uh, obviously lowered our margins in the U.S. in Q3 as we sold through uh, the inventory based on on the smaller market. Now, I would say on the seed side, look, if you look at our margins year to date, um, our margins are strong. On seed, um, they're strong because you know we, we've performed well with our proprietary products uh, seed portfolio, and I would say we've never had a stronger proprietary product seed portfolio than than we have going into the 21 season. So we feel really good about that, you know. And and right now, again, I think based on positive grower set sentiment, you know, growers are focused on you know the seed that's going to help maximize yields, uh, so that they can take advantage of you know 10 10.40 soybeans or Or $4 corn. And so, you know, we're seeing actually in soybeans probably a trading up, um, you know, less Roundup Ready 2 soybeans, less Roundup Ready by Liberty Link soybeans. And we think that our overall uh, uh, ratio of both enlist and extend and extend flex beans are going to be up this year. And so, you know, it's a competitive uh, marketplace, but again, growers are focused on making sure they can get uh, the best seed. And really, it's the same on the corn side. You know um you know we're we're not seeing extraordinary uh, competition I would say right now in seed I mean the market um, is focused on you know getting the best seed making sure that we have inventory of it um, and that's where the focus is right now it's more so there than it is on I would say on the price equation
2: uh uh, so it's Richard Downey here. Uh, thank you for everyone who dialed in. My apologies for the technical difficulties this morning, but uh, uh, we are available for any follow-up uh, questions that you may have. Thanks for joining us and have a good day.
0: Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.